Hello and welcome to another episode of Interviews with the Experts, a podcast series as part of Dr. Farah Raz's project on transplantation medicine. This podcast has been funded by the Oxford Law Faculty's Internet Engagement Fund. My name is Frances Hand and I'm a DPhil student in law, specialising in reconceptualising violence against women in UK maternity practice. And I'm sitting down today with Professor Thomas Berg and Dr. Cornelius Engelman. Professor Berg is the head of the Division of Hepatology at the Department of Medicine at Leipzig University Medical Centre in Germany, as well as a Professor of Medicine at the University of Leipzig. Dr Engelman is a clinician scientist and hepatology consultant at Charité Hospital in Berlin, and alongside Professor Berg, he is also a leading hepatology expert at the University of Leipzig. Hello Cornelius and Thomas, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. Good morning Francis. So just to start, could you please just describe briefly the work that you do at your clinic together? Yeah, Francis, maybe I can start. So as you mentioned, I'm chairing the the head of, or I'm the head of the Division of Hepatology at the University Clinic of of Leipzig, and we are a big liver center. And this involves also liver transplantation, but also taking care of patients with liver tumors, hepatocellular carcinoma, cholangiocarcinoma. So on the one hand, we're taking care of patients being in the advanced or end stage of chronic liver disease. And this is termed like cirrhosis, which is decompensation, having ascites, other problems with other organs that are linked to the liver, liver transplantation and liver tumors. But on the other hand, and this is also a main yeah, interest and topic, we try to prevent these end-stage diseases. So we're taking care of patients in the earlier career where they have chronic liver disease, non-advanced, and where we would try to treat it the best way. Quite often we can cure the liver disease so to stop disease progression. And maybe I can add something to that. Um, um, what we are, and I think the problem is that everyone is not really aware of the that the large spectrum liver disease can have. And I think it's important to mention that we actually have quite mild liver disease, which start in the beginning. They can be acute and they can be chronic. And mostly if it's um, a chronic liver disease, that can lead to a specific situation where you have, um, on top of this chronic liver disease, you have a scarring in the liver, which leads to this um, cirrhosis. And the cirrhosis is a risk um, for developing a tumor in the liver. And during the whole disease progression, um, patients may end up in a situation where Thomas actually described already that, um, that you have an acute deterioration and then um, patients are suffering from multi-organ injury. And this whole spectrum is actually part of our, like our, what we are doing on a daily basis. We are seeing patients in outpatient clinic where we have to treat mild diseases. We're seeing patients on the normal ward where we have to deal with acute decompensations. And that's a situation called when they are acutely deteriorate in their function. And we're seeing patients quite often on the intensive care unit because this acute deterioration may also lead to really severe conditions where you have multi-organ failure. And in many of these um, um, situations and clinical situations, um, we're also discussing options like liver transplantations beyond what we're doing anyways in terms of um, medical treatments or interventional treatments. So liver transplantation itself is really an incremental part of our um, daily practice. And we are also discussing with the patients. We are also informing patients. We're discussing risk 
and that is the daily um, and daily issue we are facing actually. So a couple of other experts that we've talked to during the series focus on the transplantation side. And I was just wondering, how do patients typically find themselves on uh, a liver transplant waiting list? Well, perhaps I can again start. Um, so I think it's quite rare that patients really come with the intention and the wish to be on the waiting list. And quite often they do not really know about this option that they are already in a stage where the only treatment to prolong their lives um, is a liver transplantation. So quite often, as Ed Cornelius has described, patients are coming to yeah. the emergency ward or even the intensive care unit with a severe decompensation. And then we have to inform them that at this stage, the only chance to prolong their life is a liver transplantation. Sometimes patients are informed, sometimes by their general practitioners, so they were really referred um, with the question, is a transplantation possible? But, um, and I'm interested in, in your views, uh, Cornelius, I think it's surprising in a way that quite often patients really feel that a transplantation is something really exceptional and I'm not aware that it has become routine in, in our current days. Yes, I agree. And, and I think that is also our experience that um, patients are not really aware of what are the potential treatment options for the disease. And sometimes they're even not aware of the disease itself. And, and that is sometimes um, a problem when it comes to discussing options with the patients because they it's it's a big surprise for them. And I think the awareness of liver transplantation as a, as a life-saving um, treatment um, should be increased because that would help even for organ donation and would help to accept that this is actually a really good treatment options for those patients. And what normally happens if they come to us and we're discussing um, liver transplantation, they're not finding themselves suddenly on, on, on a waiting list. What we need to do is, first of all, we need to discuss this option with the patient just to get a feeling whether um, the patient um, agrees on, on this opportunity. And if the patient agrees and everyone in the team agrees that this should be something we should consider, then we need to, or the patient needs to go through a whole assessment where we are um, trying to understand whether there are any contraindications for liver transplant, um, just to get a feeling for the risk of the procedure. Because what we have to do, we have to weigh the risk of the disease against the risk of the procedure. And of course, um, the risk of um, the disease needs to outweigh the risk of the procedure itself. And then um, afterwards, the case and the patient is going to be discussed in a big transplant conference. And if um, everyone agrees, that patient is then going to be put on the waiting list. And then um, it's about waiting or an organ donation or an organ offer. And this can be a very difficult time for the patients because normally, you know, with a, when a patient comes to a clinic with a acute disease, and this is in, in, in the disease of a cirrhosis, it's mainly the decompensation. And when we decide a patient should be put on the waiting list, then we as hepatologists and the whole team is sure that this is the only treatment you need a replacement of the organ, otherwise there's no 
no treatment. So the situation will deteriorate over time during the waiting time. And this is something patients do not expect. They feel, you know, now I'm the ward, I get treatment. Now I have to go home. I have to take care of myself and it will be better. And it's quite difficult for them to see, no, it's even getting worse. And sometimes they lose also the trust in and, and the hope into a, into a situation that will improve. So sometimes we really have to convince patients on these very difficult time where they get weaker and weaker, please continue to be motivated. There is a chance for cure and it, this is really a cure. And it's sometimes really like a miracle how patients may improve. You know, they were so sick, it, what we call sarcopenic, they have no muscles anymore. They hardly can walk or anything else. And a year or six months after transplantation, you cannot yeah, recall them anymore. So they look so, um, they look so different, yeah. Well, I think what we also experience um, once the patients are on the waiting list that they suffer a lot. And the reason for that is that they have, what you mentioned already, it's that they're waiting for so long. And what can happen during the waiting time is that they deteriorate. And suddenly they have something like an infection or they have a bleeding or some of the other typical complications of an end-stage liver disease. And then suddenly they find themselves again on on intensive care unit, although they felt actually that it's improving, that they're potentially waiting for their life-saving um, treatment. But again, it's, there's a deterioration. And I think that is what, what they feel is also fear because they're afraid of what happens if there's not an organ um, organ offer. Um, will I survive? Can I improve again? And from this acute deterioration, and that is, I think, a psychological issue for many of these patients. And of course, um, like a like significant number of patients dies on the waiting list, and that is a that is a, a real risk. I think one really interesting theme that uh, both of you picked up on, and I think something that's come up a lot in this series, that a lot of individuals don't really have to deal with issues related to organ transplantation and donation until it becomes really imminent. And I was just wondering, in terms of when you speak to patients about transplantation and, and gaining their informed consent, do patients typically ask for lots of information? What information do they care about? Yeah, of course. they. They do ask for information. I think the main concern is that what you may call the body does not accept the new organ. So this um, for a lay person, for a patient always sounds very critical. You know, you get a new organ and um, in, in the liver transplant situation, um, we do not the, well, we the similarity between donor and recipient doesn't have to be so extensive as with other organs. So it's just if the blood group um, is, is the right one, you, you can do the procedure. So here, I think we can reassure the patient that the risk of rejection and, and the risk that the body do not accept the organ, that the organ will not function or lose its function over time is very low. But this is really one of the main concerns. And then, of course, they quite often feel that it will change their life completely, that they are, in a way, chronically ill after transplantations. They have to take a lot of medications, this immunosuppressive treatment, and then there's a lot of infection and they are at higher risk of getting infection. And I think these are the typical questions. Of course, sometimes a bit about the 
the, the procedure, the operation itself. Um, but I think there are most patients not so much interested. And I think if they agree in general, and if they feel that there's no other chance than the transplantation, I think there it's mainly that they do trust in the situation and do not need so specific information about all and what we, of course, give them. But um, quite often, it's not so clear whether really all patients really understand what it means. Yeah, and I find what you mentioned really, I find it quite interesting. So the, the discrepancy between what we find is important for liver transplant and what the patient finds potentially is important to be informed about liver transplantation, there's a huge, huge difference. And as Thomas mentioned already, the we call it rejection so that the, the, the body doesn't accept the organ. That is, let's say, um, it's a it's a relevant risk. However, rejection is something we can treat and that really some someone loses the organ because of a rejection. That is really a rare situation. So we know that there, there will be rejections, but we can treat them accordingly, and that is not a major problem. And the same is what I also experience is quite often that they're asking for the half-life of an organ. So for how long will I keep the organ? Is there, you know, is it five years, is it 10 years, is it 15 years? How often do I have to do another transplantation because I'm losing the organ after, because the half-life is, is gone, basically? Um, but again, I mean, these patients are always in a situation where the risk of surviving the next year is extremely low. Um, so this is um, a, a big discrepancy. And what we are afraid of is more that we have like surgical complications or we have um, complications because of low quality, organ quality, which is also related um, to a lack of um, donor organs because then we have to accept um, low quality organs and we have to try to find a way to improve the quality of the organs. So this this is more what, what we are concerned about, especially in those patients who are really sick on intensive care unit. Um, so, and I find it quite interesting. I think it's it's from the past where rejections may have been really an issue, but nowadays with the, with the immunosuppressants we have and all the different options, we have multiple immunosuppressants, that is not gonna be um, a, a major issue anymore. And as you've both been saying, having coming to the decision to have a liver transplant is a really emotional and stressful time. And I was just wondering whether you, either of you, had any methods for reassuring patients and facilitating their understanding during that decision-making process? Yeah, I think it really depends on the situation and also on the underlying disease and how sick a, a patient is in which situation, you know. And we have some situation, as Cornelius mentioned, where the life expectancy, statistically speaking, could be even less than a week or a month or so. So here, I think it's quite clear, even if there's a major issue, a major side effect, an unwanted outcome after transplantation, the risk of dying was anyway so high that everything what we are doing, you know, is better than doing nothing. But there are sometimes situations that are a bit more complicated, especially in patients with early liver cancer, where the, the life expectancy with standard treatment could be one, two, even three years. 
but the likelihood for a long-term survival is significantly reduced. But if we do not do the transplantation now and we wait these three years, then the tumor has progressed quite likely to a stage where transplantation is not anymore possible. So we have some situation where we really, as Cornelius mentioned, have to balance to, or to, to weigh the risk and uh, the potentials of a transplantation. And this needs some discussion. But um, and you have to be really very open and you have to, yeah, in a way also to confront the patient with saying, well, you know, you have to imagine that if we do the transplantation now, you have perhaps a 5% risk of not surviving these operations. If we do nothing, let's say for the next year, the life expectancy for the next year will be perhaps 100%. This isn't. But what do you think about if then the disease comes back and we can't do a transplantation and then the life expectancy is reduced. And by thinking about this, quite often you come to a solution. So you should be always honest, really explaining it and to yeah, take the patient or to convince him to be part of the decision-making process. And in my view, this works normally quite well. And of course, we have sometimes patients that say, well, I know the risk, but I want to take the risk and I do not want the transplantation now. And this, of course, is absolutely fine. Yeah, yeah I think in my experience, um, transparency is one of the central um, aspects you need to consider when it comes to decision-making process and informing patients. So I think what they, what they like if they get the feeling that you're clear about the potential risks and benefits, and if you explain it well, Although it may be different, as Thomas mentioned already, depending on the severity of the situation. So in case uh, a patient is really sick, really severe, I think they have this genuine feeling of um, I'm really in a bad condition. And if um, there's nothing like a transplant, I won't survive. And if then this, this situation, of course, they want to be informed about the situation, but they feel really that transplant is going to be the only opportunity they have. Um, that becomes different in, in, in the milder situation, like what Thomas mentioned, HCC, for example, um, where it's more about declaring what is the current situation, you know, what is the risk without transplantation, risk with transplantation. Um, the problem I often see is in at least half of the patient is that this situation is so complex that they patients feel overwhelmed with making the decision by themselves. So what I think, what my experience is, what, what quite often helps if we provide them with an assessment of the situation, something like a summary, something like what we believe would be the best option, just to guide them a bit through and saying at the end, well, I believe, I, I know it's a really difficult situation. I think the risk is certainly there, but then saying, in my view, I think it would be still an option to go for transplantation for these and these reasons. And that quite often helps patients and helps even the relatives and all the people around these patients to make a decision because they somehow rely on our assessment. And it must be quite difficult sometimes. I didn't realize, uh, Thomas, that it could be a week that a patient could have a week to live and have to make that decision because you kind of think, oh, they've got enough time to, to weigh it up. That must be particularly difficult when it's such a short time frame. 
yeah but on the other hand you know you have to to imagine a patient is really on the icu intensive care unit is really sick can't walk and so on and he really feels or she that he will die quite soon in the next couple of days or weeks and therefore of course it's, it's much easier to take a decision but of course as Cornelius mentioned there are some patients they really do not want to have a transplant but in my view there's a very very small number of patients that are you know in general against against this situation and sometimes if we have this situation it's quite often that there are beliefs, very strong beliefs from the patients, but they are not really backed up by evidence. And then, of course, you have to, to understand what are the beliefs and can we provide other, yeah, can we provide the patient with the evidence we have and perhaps to change a bit the beliefs. And this is quite often possible. And then you understand that he had heard from others, you know, if you got a transplantation, then your lives look like and something like this. Um, so this is really you have to understand. And I think in, in, in these situations, sometimes in the view of these patients, they change, right? So that, mm -hmm. for example, relatives, they report that they were always a bit hesitant when it comes to medical treatments or doing anything they don't want that but in that particular situation where they're really at risk of dying their um you know their attitude and um their view on things changed dramatically because they feel i i need that now and that may have a long-lasting effect even for later on because they 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 know exactly that they survived, for example, because of medical treatment, and that changes their view on 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 medicine in general quite dramatically. I think that's something. Yeah, I think that's a it's a really important point. Is that what I'm hoping is coming from this podcast series is that people are beginning to think about these issues before they potentially have to face them for themselves. So just to kind of wrap up, really, do you have? a key message that you would like the public and patients to take away from this? Yeah, well, I think it was already mentioned in this podcast that the whole system, well, I don't want to name it a system, but the treatment of a advanced liver disease uh, with transplantation is on the one hand such a success story, you know, we can really cure chronic diseases, help patients that are suffering from so many um, yeah, disorders, complaints, and uh, with ascites, bleeding, brain function, and, and, and so on. But we can't really bring this treatment to as many patients or to, to patients that are in need because of the organ shortage. And I think the public should be really aware how, yeah, um yeah important and successful and is this kind of treatment and that we could help many many more patients and you have to envisage that normally you know if you have an uncurable disease or you have a disease where you can say well um this is uncurable you will die in six months one year or whatever yeah but we have a treatment, but this treatment is only in 50% successful to save your life. What would you choose as a patient? Would you say, well, 50% is not enough for me? 
for an otherwise uncurable disease. But, and of course, you would say 50% is great, right? If you think about an advanced cancer and we can offer you a 50% chance of cure, you would go for it. But we can't go for it with transplantation because of organ shortage. We have to reserve or preserve the organs for those with the highest benefit. And an accepted rate is at least a 70 to 80% long-term survival. But as I mentioned, if we would have more organs, we could help more patients, even if the life expectancy is not 80%, but as compared with nothing, it's much better. And of course, I would think most patients would agree on this. So this is something to consider. So the, the, the public should be aware how important it is to have yeah, a, a positive opinion to organ donation and yeah, ideally have an organ donation card in, in their pocket. I think it's um, also important to mention that or to highlight a bit what kind of treatment liver transplantation actually is. And as a comparison, um, so what doctors normally do if they want to treat a patient, they're just prescribing a drug and then or they, they're asking the, the surgeon to do an operation. It's just on demand. The difference to liver transplantation is once we decide for this particular treatment, uh, we can't just prescribe it. We can't just ask the surgeon to do this operation. We have to wait um, until someone brings us the particular treatment or brings the patient the particular treatment. That is a, a very particular situation and it's associated with a lot of uncertainty, right? Because like doctors and patients are not used to that situation where they can't just do anything on demand. And, and the most important thing is that like the whole transplant team um, and the aim of the whole transplant team for the patient is to find like the best solution for the patient and to make sure that patients are surviving because they're all at risk of dying. And I think um, this situation is quite particular but it also means that um, with organ donation, with increasing the rate of organ donation, um, we would reduce this level of insecurity. And I think going public with that situation and assuring, reassuring the, 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 the public that this is um, a medical treatment which is needed uh, quite tremendously, I think that is very important and even, even to increase the, the trust in organ donation and, and, and liver transplantation or transplantation itself. And these patients are so grateful to this huge gift um, given by, by the donors and their families. And they will never forget and are so grateful. And this is also something you can do after you have passed away. I think that's a really nice way to end it. So thank you so much, Thomas and Cornelius, for taking the time to talk to me today. Thank you for inviting us. And this concludes another episode of Interviews with the Experts. My name is Frances Hand. Please keep an eye out for more episodes which will be coming soon.